so this is spring break season. Um, and with that in mind, how many of you right now or maybe in the not so distant past feel like you need a vacation? Yes. You just need a little break. You need to get away for a little bit. Uh, Some of you are heading to the beach or camping um, in the mountains or maybe camping on the beach. That's kind of your flavor of vacation. Um, Ours, uh, our getaway place is usually involves a mouse. Uh, We are big Disney fans, Uh, whether it be the park or the cruise ship, we definitely have a theme in our life. Uh, That's our getaway place. Um, uh, But here's my observation about vacations, and maybe y'all can relate to this. Have you ever noticed uh, how quickly the benefits of a vacation disappear when you get back? Right? Have you ever been on vacation and felt like you needed a vacation to recover from your vacation? Right? You got back and the stresses of work, Monday hit, and all of a sudden that vacation uh, feels like a distant memory, right? You have the stress and the pressures of real life come back and hit you like that unexpected wave on the ocean that hit you just yesterday, and yet it feels like it was a month away. Here's why I think that is, and I'm going to explain this, but sometimes we mistake an escape for freedom, all right? Sometimes we mistake an escape for freedom, and here's what I mean. Oftentimes, when I go on vacation, what I want is I just want an escape, right? I just want to get away. Now, I don't want to do that by myself. I want to get away with family and friends. This isn't uh, some antisocial thing. Uh, I just want to get away from the stress. I want to leave that behind. I want to leave tension behind. I want to leave conflict behind, disappointment, expectations. All of that I want to leave behind. But here's the problem. When I try and escape those things, they're still just waiting for me when I get back. Right? An escape doesn't really change anything. You see, an escape isn't freedom. Here's, here's a way to think about escape. Escape is just imprisonment with a, with a nice cell, is what it is. Right? When you go on vacation, escape isn't leaving the cell. It's just going to a nicer part of the cell. Right? It's going to the part that has the beach. It's going to the part that has the green grass. It's going to the part that has the resort and the nice hotel, or in our case, roller coasters and, and fun themes. But freedom is something completely different. You see, I I want an escape, but what I need is freedom. And here's what freedom does. Freedom leaves the cell behind. Where escape just takes you to a nicer part of the cell, freedom leaves the cell behind. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? Can you imagine going on vacation and coming back and not being blown away by everything waiting for you when you return? Can you imagine going to work on Monday, being able to stand the stress of life with freedom instead of an escape? Can you imagine this kind of freedom? Well, church, here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to see a guy who was literally released from prison, and he thinks he's getting an escape. But through his eyes, we're going to see real freedom. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. 
We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 26. If you need a Bible in front of you, it's on page 689. Um, You can use one of those on the pew. That's the page that it's on. Or like Lori said, you can download the Bible app. Uh, Click on events and click on Fellowship Asheville. All of our announcements are there. The scriptures are there for you. Uh, There's a place for you to take notes and save them. There's even questions for you to consider after the message. And as you're turning there, we're in a series uh, for Easter called Through Their Eyes. And what we're doing is we're looking at the crucifixion and the resurrection through the eyes of three different people. Last week, we looked at the crucifixion and resurrection through the eyes of Mary. And through her eyes, we saw, what do you do in this in-between space where you're between what God has said he's going to do and what God is doing, and what do you do as you wait? And, and through her, we saw this choice of confusion, this reality of confusion, and if you're in the space between what God says and what God does. And, and then through her eyes, we also saw the reality of trusting and following God in that season between what God says and what God does. And this week, we're going to see the crucifixion through the eyes of someone who gets a lot less press than Mary. Actually, he's only mentioned a very, in a very few verses talk about him, but those verses that do talk about him actually give us some great insight into him. Uh, it's just a snapshot, but in him, we can see what true freedom is. Because today, we're going to look through the eyes of a guy named Barabbas. Uh, when we meet Barabbas, it is at Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, it is in that process. Uh, Jesus has, has been through some trials. So what's happened in Jesus' life is, is he's gone to the garden to pray. He's had the Last Supper with his disciples. Judas left the Last Supper. Then Jesus went to the garden to pray. Uh, as Jesus was praying, Judas was betraying him and letting the Roman guards know where Jesus was. So the Roman guards come and they take Jesus. And it starts this series of a very unfair trial system against Jesus. He goes to Pilate uh, for the first time, and, and, and Pilate accuses him and, and says, are you the one that they call the king of Jews? And Jesus' response was silence. And then Pilate sends him to Herod, who's another judge of the land. And again, he's accused, and again, he remains silent. And then he goes back to Pilate. And if you look at the Jewish law, all of this was supposed to take days to happen. All of this was supposed to be during the daytime. And yet for Jesus, they did all of these trials in the, in the, in the darkness of night. All this stuff took place when it wasn't supposed to take place. It happened in a way that it wasn't supposed to happen. And then daylight hits, and he's back before Pilate. And Pilate has this custom that he's going to do uh, that the Roman government does. And so look at what Pilate wants to do for Jesus. It says now in verse, in verse 15, it says now at the feast. And so just to give you a little background about what this is, what's happening in Jerusalem at the time uh, is they just had their Passover meal, right? That's the last supper. That's when Jesus was gathered with his disciples. They weren't just eating a meal. They were having the Passover meal. And the Passover meal is a meal uh, that they have every year. And people come to Jerusalem to, to celebrate this because they remember God's deliverance. And they look back on God delivering the nation from the slavery of Egypt uh, when they were there for hundreds of years that God delivered them from that. 
and they look back on his past deliverance. They look forward to his future deliverance, that he will deliver them from the oppression of Rome. He will deliver them from all things that, that, that engulf them, from all things that imprison them, that he will be their freedom. And then they try and look at their present situation and try and see God's deliverance in that. And that's what this feast is that, that Matthew is referring to. And so Pilate, let's look at this. Because he wanted to set a prisoner free. It says, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release the crowd, uh, any one prisoner whom they wanted. So they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So there he is. We're introduced to this guy named Barabbas. In Matthew, what Matthew is doing is he's showing us that this guy named Barabbas is a contender for uh, this switch off. He's a contender for this custom. Now, it's interesting. The name Barabbas means son of the father. Bar Abba, son. Anytime you see B-A-R, that means son. And Abba means father. So he is the son of the father. And, and, and there's this great tension that Matthew is gonna show between Barabbas, son of father, and Jesus, the son of God. And in one, we're going to see an escape. And in the other, we're going to see true freedom. And it's not just us that we're going to see it. What I hope to do is to show you that Barabbas most likely saw that same choice in Jesus that we're going to see. Just simply by, by who he is. And so let me tell you a little bit about Barabbas. Because all we see here is that he was notorious. Right, so, so notorious is this word that means famous. If you're a Harry Potter fan, you're immediately thinking of Slytherin, right? He might have been in the house of Slytherin if this was the Harry Potter world, but he was notorious. And the other gospel accounts, when you look at Mark and Luke and John, we get this picture, this well-rounded picture of who Barabbas was, right? The, the, the gospel of Mark says that he was a rebel and a murderer, right? Bad rap. But Mark also shows us there was something else about him that made him a little bit different to the, to the, to the crowd of, of Jewish people than just a murderer and a thief. Because they use the word rebel and insurrectionist. Now what an insurrectionist is, is this is a person who led a rebellion, right? So hold on to that. Barabbas is a, is a rebellion leader. Luke uh, shows that uh, this rebellion started in Jerusalem and confirms again that this guy is a murderer. And the Gospel of John shows that the crowd calls him a thief, right? So hold on to that because that word thief becomes important here in a little bit too, right? So you've got he's a murderer, he's a thief, and he led a rebellion. And see, here, here's what I want us to see. Oftentimes, Barabbas gets this bad rap, right? Like when you look at that graphic, uh, you see he's got some muscles, he's strong. A lot of times, if, if you, you, know, you see an artist portrayal of Barabbas, he like doesn't have any teeth and he's dirty and he gets this awful picture, right? Because they're, they're contrasting him to Jesus. Well, what I want us to do is to look at this crucifixion and resurrection through his eyes. Because what we're going to see is that this guy is probably a little bit different than what we think he is. You see, this Passover that they're celebrating was a very special Passover. And in Daniel chapter 9, 
there is this very elaborate prophecy about when the Messiah is going to show up. And it's that prophecy that talks about 70 weeks and seven weeks, and, and it's really kind of confusing. And, and I would walk us through it if we had the time, but the short version is, if you, if you understand Daniel chapter 9, you understand that the Messiah that they predicted was supposed to show up in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday the day that we're celebrating here, a week before the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection. The nation of Israel on this Passover in particular was looking for a Messiah to show up. It's why when Jesus came in, his followers laid down coats and said, Hosanna, and, and, and worshiped him as the king that was entering because that was the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. So, so, so this Passover was a special Passover. And keep in mind what we said about Mary last week too, that, that there was this expectation on the Messiah, right? That he wasn't going to deliver us from our sin as much as he was going to deliver us from Rome. Was the, was the expectation that this Savior was going to save us. Just like God delivered us from the slavery in Egypt, this Messiah, this new Moses, is going to deliver us from our tyranny under Rome. And so we're going to be free. And not only are we going to be free, we're going to be rise to this world power, and we're going to make a difference in the world instead of being under Roman influence. And so these rebellions, this rebellion that Barabbas led was actually very common around this season of Passover because a lot of people were vying for that Messiah spot. A lot of people were vying to be the Savior, to be the Messiah. Even ancient writers talk about there were many people in the time of Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. This guy, Barabbas, led a rebellion against Rome. He was trying to bring Israel back to the power that it was. He was trying to get Rome out of the nation of Israel. And so to Rome, this guy, Barabbas, is a criminal. But to Israel, this guy, Barabbas, could be a hero because he's leading a rebellion. That's what insurrectionist means. And this rebellion obviously included murder, but that's, that happens in a rebellion, right? Remember Moses? He killed an Egyptian before being led out into the wilderness and then coming back to set Israel free. He was a thief. I don't know what that involved. You see, Barabbas is kind of their version of Han Solo, right? This, this, this guy who's part of a rebellion, he's not the guy leading the rebellion, but he's kind of, he, 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 he's part of this rebellion. He was, he was a hero. And to the nation of Israel, him leading this rebellion made him much more of a Messiah than the path that Jesus took. To the nation of Israel, Barabbas was giving them what they wanted, and he was giving them a leader. You see, but what we see is that what Barabbas was giving them, Barabbas gave them an escape. Because if this rebellion had succeeded, 
It's an escape, not freedom, because even though if his insurrection would have succeeded and led, them, led Jerusalem out from under Roman rule, he would have to do that in every village, in every place uh, where there were uh, Roman occupation over the nation of Israel. There was no guarantee that even if he succeeded in Jerusalem, that he would succeed all over the nation of Israel. That's an escape. You see, what he offered them was temporary at best. He offered them a different part of the cell, but it's the same cell. That he represented what the people wanted. They wanted an escape, but what they needed was freedom. Well, let's see what happens to Barabbas, uh, our hero slash rebel slash temporary Messiah in verse 17. It says, so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? And so what, what Pilate would do is he'd ask the people, who should I release? And their choice is, do I release Barabbas, son of the Father, or Jesus, the Son of God. Their choice, do you want escape or do you want freedom? We'll look at this in verse 18. It says, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So this is Barabbas' commentary on Jesus. And Pilate could discern something. He could discern that the reason Jesus was here was not because of his guilt. That he wasn't a murderer or an insurrectionist or a thief like Barabbas was. But he could discern that the reason that Jesus was here was because the nation of Israel, the Jewish leaders, didn't like the power that Jesus had that he was leading people into love and into repentance and into confession and into the heart of God, they didn't like that because that was their job was to do that. And Pilate could tell the reason that they were against Jesus was out of nothing more than jealousy and envy. And they wanted him out so that they could still have power. And look what else Pilate has bouncing around his head. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I had suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now his wife's name, we find out later, is Procula. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, it is believed that she was converted to the Jewish faith and then converted to the Christian faith. Ancient Greek uh, um, um, texts have her as a saint. Um, um, and, and in a dream... God revealed to her something special about Jesus, that Jesus was righteous and that Jesus was innocent. And so that's bouncing around in Pilate's head. Look at verse 20. It says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. So this crowd, under the influence of the leaders, remember, they're the ones that want the power. They, they made their choice. Release Barabbas. Give us what we want, not what we need. And their choice gets even more intense. They, they don't only want uh, Jesus in prison, they want him dead. Look at verse 22. It says, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the, all the more, let him be crucified. You see, they want an escape for Barabbas and they want death for Jesus. In verse 24, it says, so when Pilate saw that they were gaining, that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. 
So what Pilate did by this little ceremony of washing his hands is it was also a Jewish tradition to show innocence and to show purity and to, and to show that his guilt was done, that this was a decision that they were making. And what we see is that they're fine taking on this responsibility. They're fine taking on this accusation. In verse 25, it says, And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. And so they took on the guilt of his death. And look at verse 26. Then uh, he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Now, those verses there, I do want to talk a little bit um, they, people have used those verses uh, to give the Jewish community a really bad rap, right? Don't take what was said then and apply it to the Jewish community now. These are people in this crowd responding to the leaders that they trusted and the leaders that led them on, on who Jesus was, right? And, and, and what happened is they did the exact same thing that you and I would have done if we were in that crowd because we wouldn't want Rome over us. And we would want Barabbas back with us so that he could lead another rebellion. And we would want this guy, Jesus, who's actually causing more trouble than good in our eyes, we would want him out of the picture as well. But what this does is it also sets us up to see something that is beautiful and fulfills prophecy and why Jesus came, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? You see, Barabbas was, is released and Jesus is beaten and sent to the cross. And here's what's interesting. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says that on either side of him there were criminals, Right, uh, The Gospels say that they were criminals, not because they were murderers, uh, but because they were thieves. Their crime is that they were robbers. And it's believed that these two guys were part of the same rebellion that Barabbas was a part of. Their problem, they weren't notorious. They weren't famous. They were just part of the crowd that got caught by the same Roman guards that caught Barabbas. Which is why Barabbas was kind of up for a switch because he was also on his way to the cross. Right? And here's why all this is important. We see that Barabbas was a thief. These guys were a thief. We see that this rebellion was going on, which, which was the Messiah that the nation of Israel were looking for. And yet Jesus took Barabbas' place. The nation of Israel chose for Jesus to take the place of Barabbas. And so what that means, when the crucifixion happened, it was done in a public place. It was done in a place that, that from what I understand, you could see from almost anywhere in Jerusalem, you could see the cross and you could see who was hanging on that cross. So what that means is that if, if we're looking at this through the eyes of Barabbas and Barabbas looks to that cross, no matter where he is in the city, if he can turn and see that cross, he'll probably know the two guys on either side of that cross because they were part of the rebellion with him. And it wouldn't surprise me if in a moment when he looked at that cross and he said, Jesus died for me, I'm supposed to be there right there in the middle. I'm the leader. I'm the one that's supposed to have the higher cross. I'm the one that's supposed to be in between those two guys. Not Jesus, but Jesus died for me because those were his buddies. Those were the people that led this rebellion with him. You see, he would have seen Jesus take his place. 
he would have seen his crime being paid for by someone else. He would have thought Jesus died for me. That Jesus took on Barabbas' punishment so that he could be free. And y'all hear me on this. An escape gives you relief. But freedom gives you release. Barabbas that day got an escape. And the nation of Israel thought, thought it was an escape. And, and listen, relief is good. And don't get me wrong, I do love a good vacation. I do love a good time away. But better than relief is the release that Jesus provides. Jesus hung on that cross. Jesus took Barabbas' place. And we look through his eyes to see the impact of that. Jesus wasn't the murderer, thief, uh, or, or rebellion leader Jesus was innocent and pure and clean, and yet he took the place of the criminal. And through the eyes of Barabbas, we see us. Right? We haven't led a rebellion, most of us. We haven't led a rebellion, but in our hearts we have. We have shaken our fist at God. We have shaken our fist at authority. We have rebelled. We haven't murdered anyone. But Jesus said, if you, if you look at someone with hate in your heart, it's murder. And we've done that. We haven't stolen anything, at least most of us haven't. But yet we've told lies. We've exaggerated the truth. We all have our own sin that if caught could have put us on a cross and Jesus took Barabbas' place. And Jesus takes our place. You see, in Jesus, we have freedom. And so church, let me ask you this question because through Barabbas' eyes, we can see an escape. And oftentimes, we settle for relief when we have release available to us. So let me ask you this question. What's your escape? What's your go-to when, when stress hits, when tension hits, when, when conflict hits, when, when life seems overwhelming? I'm gonna get very real here with you. Is it, is it drinking? You know, we live in Asheville, Beer City, USA. We're not a, a church that, that is a no-alcohol church. Um, what that means is abstinence isn't the only answer. But what that allows sometimes is drinking at the wrong place, drinking for the wrong reasons, and it feels like freedom, but it's not. It's an escape. And so are you drinking to escape? Let me ask you a Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? Right? Because you know what happens when you wake up the next morning. That stress is still there. That tension is still there. You just have a headache now to deal with it. All right. How about this one? Are you binge watching to escape? Mm, just stepped on a toe or two, didn't I? Here's the problem with binge watching. 
Because when you turn the TV off, you know what's still there? The stressors, the headaches, the tension. It's an escape. Now you're just tired from watching TV till 2 o'clock in the morning. How about this one? Do you eat to escape? I'm a stress eater. Apparently, my body needs chocolate every so often. I kid you not, this week, uh, it was like, and it's always like at 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm not sure what that is. But I walk through this building saying, who has chocolate? And Amy usually does. That's the good thing. Uh, So I went through her drawers and found some chocolate. But you know what I've learned about stress eating is that there's absolutely nothing good in it. Right? Because you don't crave a salad when you're stressed out. Right? Do you? No. You crave chocolate. You crave carbs. You crave sugar. You crave this stuff that causes a heart attack and stroke and diabetes and high blood pressure. And you know what? That doesn't help stress. It actually causes it. How about, did you just say preach it? You've been coming to this church for five years. And it's stress eating that I get a response from? That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty then. Appreciate it. All right, how about this? How about work? We escape into work, don't we? You just have this one more email to send, this one more thing to do. Because at work, we, we experience satisfaction and we experience purpose and we experience importance, but it, it can also be an escape. Or working out can be an escape. Yard work, housework, all these things, which can be good, can also become an escape. And so let me ask you this question then. What is your escape? How about this one? Where is your freedom? Church, Barabbas could look on a hill and see where his freedom hung. And it hung on the cross. And church, our freedom hangs in the same place, on the cross. But here's the aspect to our freedom um, that we can understand in hindsight, that our freedom is an everlasting freedom. Because our freedom didn't stay on a cross. It was put in a tomb and it was resurrected. Our freedom is an eternal freedom freedom. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Jesus died once for all. For all people, for all time, Jesus died once. And my question is, do you need this everlasting freedom today? Or even better, will you need it on Monday? Will you need that everlasting freedom? When stress hits again, when tensions hits again, will you need that everlasting freedom? Will you need the freedom that only Jesus provides, one that lasts longer than drinking, than eating, than watching TV, than, than that long run, than that quiet drive? Do you need this freedom? If so, church, where is that freedom? Our answer is Jesus. He is our freedom. When stress and when tension and anxiety and pressure and that overwhelmed feeling hits, because it will always hit, Jesus is our freedom. And so our response is to go to him. Can I tell you a cool story about the Passover? 
that I just uh, learned a couple of weeks ago. And it's one of those stories that I'm like, has this always been in Scripture? Because I've never seen this. Or at least if I've seen it, I've always forgotten it for some reason. And now it just hits this pretty amazing space. The Passover that they gathered to celebrate. When they looked back on what, on what God did to release them from Egypt. If you remember the story of Moses, he came back and, and he told the Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said no. And God hardened his heart. And so all these plagues, God brought all these plagues on Egypt uh, to, to bring the nation of, of, of Egypt to this place where they would let the nation of Israel go free. And not only go free, when they left, the Egyptians were giving them gold and food and all this stuff to provide for them on their journey as to, as to pay them back for, for, for the, the bondage that they were in. But the, the, all those plagues culminated on this night that they called the Passover. And the reason it's called the Passover is because God had said, For all the followers of God, the the nation of Israel and anybody who claimed to follow God, they were to sacrifice a lamb. And that lamb was to be in their house for 14 days. And it was to be a clean and pure lamb without blemish. And then after the lamb was there for 14 days, they were to sacrifice it, which means they were to skin it and, and kill it. And they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to put it on the doorpost of the house. And, and a lot of commentators say if you looked at the way they did it, they put it on the top and the sides of the doors uh, of the doorframe. It actually made a cross the way, they, the way they did it. But what happens is then God sent the angel of death through the nation of Egypt. And anybody who didn't have that blood on the, on the doorpost, the angel of death took the firstborn. And so all over the the land of Egypt, there were mothers and fathers crying by the fact that their firstborn son and daughter had died. Even the Pharaoh lost his firstborn child that night. And all they had to do was to take this blood and sprinkle it on the doorpost, right? That part of the story I knew, I understood. It's beautiful. It's this picture of God's deliverance, right? But do you know what else they had to do with that lamb? This is the part that I didn't know. God also told them, take the blood and sacrifice the lamb. And then he said, I want you to cook that lamb and eat it. Cook it, eat it, and have a meal with that lamb because you are about to go on a journey. Not only did this lamb save them, the same lamb sustained them. That's why our freedom is an ever lasting freedom because the lamb that saves us is the lamb that sustains us our freedom is eternal because jesus is eternal the lamb that saves us is the lamb that sustains us so church now remember i was in third i was a third grade teacher so when i ask a question it's okay to answer right so so answer me this church where is your freedom Mm, let's try it again Jared, this is your chance. This is your chance. Church, where is your freedom? And Jesus, where is your freedom when those stresses hit, church? Where is your freedom when you are overwhelmed? And Jesus, where is your freedom when you want an escape? And Jesus. And so church, our response is to go to him. He is our freedom. And if you have no idea what I've been talking about, about Jesus being our freedom and not religion, your response today is to go to him as the Savior 
and the Messiah that you need. Because all of your life up until this point has been an escape. And Jesus is the way to have a good and right and personal relationship with God. Because he is your freedom. And for those of us who have done that, for those of us who are already, have already said yes to Jesus, our response is the exact same because the lamb that saves us is the lamb that sustains us. And our response is to go to him when those stressors hit. Our response is to remember that we are his and he is ours. And those stressors will still be there. But you have freedom instead of an escape. If you need somebody to pray for you, we've got a prayer team in the back that would be delighted to do that. And right now, I'm gonna pray for you. And if you wanna come up and have me pray for you after the service, I'd be glad to do that too. Let's pray.